0: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.
1: Support for this episode of American Sex Podcast comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for you or your honey's family jewels. Ken recently started using Manscaped, and he is so happy. And well, so am I. You know, I really dig a set of smooth balls. We're going to tell you more about that in the mid-break. But in the meantime, we want you to know that American Sex Podcast listeners get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. If you Hello, friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward-ass ideals we have here in the United States. This is episode 96 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My lovely co-host is Ken melvoin You're going to be hearing from him shortly. And we are sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too. Also, So we're married. That's why we bicker a lot. But we love each other. Anyway, so this week's episode, you're going to dig it. It is all about the bush, the landing strip, the carpet, the forbidden forest, and my favorite, the snatch patch. Yes, I am talking about your pubic hair. And when I say this episode is all about, I mean all about it, even down to our sponsor. You see how I work that? I am good. I'm good at this podcast stuff, I tell you. So pubic hair. It can be so many things to so many of us. A turn on, gross and disgusting, beautiful and natural, uncomfortable, or maybe even a feminist statement. Some of us choose to let it grow the way nature intended while others trim or remove it altogether. And these very personal personal grooming choices all come with a lot of feels, you know, mostly due to societal conditioning or influences from whatever social circle we're in. Our bush, or lack of bush, could be a source of pride for some or a source of shame and embarrassment for others. In this episode, we're going to hear from you, our American fuckers, about how you feel and deal with your pubes. Then we're going to be talking to Lindsay Craig. She's a doctoral candidate in the anthropology department at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Lindsay is most interested in human mating strategies and romantic relationships from a biocultural perspective. She's recently published a paper on pubic hair removal practices in the Journal of Cross Cultural Research. And is now working on collecting data for her master's work on women's use of intimate apparel and pubic hair removal practices in long-term relationships. Our conversation with Lindsay was absolutely fascinating. You know, it's it's a common belief that the removal of women's pubic hair in Western cultures is specifically a result of the influence and pressure from pornography and popular media. As a pubic hair anthropologist, that's not an official title, by the way, although that would be a cool-ass title, but as a pubic hair anthropologist, (laughs) Lindsay studies pubic hair removal and grooming practices not only in modern times and in Western cultures, but from all over the world back to the 1800s. And what she discovered from those cultures, and how it maybe proves or disproves what we think about what's going on today today might surprise you. Now, before we geek out on data sets and study findings with Lindsay, I want you to think about your own relationship with pubic hair. Really, take a minute. Think about it. I bet you it's complicated. Mine was. I grew up in the 80s and throughout my teen years and my 20s, you know, when I was becoming sexually active and like really self-conscious about is everything right with my body. Full Bush was the only acceptable choice for a self-respecting woman. My social group believed that removing all of your pubic hair was akin to pedophilia, that men who preferred women shaved, like completely bald, they A, liked the pedophilia vibe, and that was creepy and gross and weird, or B, they regarded it as an anti-feminist power thing that infantilized and belittled women. Regardless, it was bad, bad, bad. But then when I was in my early 20s, I had a friend who, by the way, was very self-respecting. And she told me a secret. And this was like secret. You know, she's like, okay, I let my lover shave me completely down there. And it was like, oh, we all get, you know, oh, my God, scandal, what? Tell me about it. And she did. She told me about it. The thing that stuck with me was that she said the feelings of sex after being shaved clean were so much better, and that really piqued my interest. I remember that conversation being the first thing that made me question everything I had been taught about the etiquette of pubic hair grooming. Looking back at that time, it was a strange time when it came to pubic hair—at least pubic hair for women. So we were all looking for the perfect hair removal tools and techniques for our bikini area. The bikini area is the part of your skin on the just on the outside of the elastic of the front of your underwear. You know that starts to creep down your your thighs. We had razors, we used nair, or the terror-inducing epilady, those things were horrible. Some people did wax, but that was a little too sophisticated and scary for my friend group at the time. But on the same token, while we were all really open about discussing removing hair on the one side of our bathing suit line, you know, there were TV commercials about it that played during dinner and everything. At the same time, it was scandalous and socially unacceptable and worthy of ridicule and slut shaming if we remove the hair that was on the other side of that underwear line. It made absolutely no sense. So a few years later, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I finally opted to remove my pubic hair. It was becoming more in fashion, more acceptable, and I have been curious for years after that conversation I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do it. And it gave me a lot of feelings. I was like, okay, I did it. Should I be ashamed about it? Would people who I dated would they judge me? Would you know, it was it was a lot. But oh, how social attitudes change. I got through that. But then fast forward to 2012, I actually found an article that I wrote in 2012, kind of defending like, let me make my own choices for my pubic hair. I'm sick of the pubic hair, police." So at that time, the bush was back, especially in my social circle, which was very sex positive. And I liked the way I felt hairless. I had really come to enjoy it. And honestly although I wouldn't have minded experimenting with a little bush, I don't like the way my bush grows. It's sparse. It's got little bald patches. It sticks up everywhere. It's just, it's, I don't like it. I, if I was going to do a bush, I wanted a bush that I could be proud of. And the way mine grew naturally just didn't make me feel good. I also was really starting to dig the hairless experience from a giver's point of view, too. Now, although I'd never tell a partner what to do with their pubic hair, it's their personal choice. And I absolutely mean that. You know, if I had a choice, I do prefer going down on genitals that are hairless. I don't care if it's a pussy. I don't care if it's a dick and balls. For me, I can really get into what I'm doing a lot easier when I don't have to worry about, you know, like hair getting stuck in my teeth or going on my throat, you know, without fail. Every time I engage in oral sex with someone who has quite a bit of hair, there's gonna be that time where I just sit up stop everything I'm doing. And I start to even doing like, you know, when the cat's gonna throw up like, and I'm like, sticking my fingers down my throat, like pulling out that imaginary hair because you think you got the hair, but you don't, you're just pulling out this imaginary hair over and over digging back in your throat. That always happens. I, I could do without that, you know, but I'll do it if I have to. It's absolutely not a deal breaker. I mean, if I'm gonna sleep with you, I'm sleeping with you because I like you. I don't care how much hair you have in your pants. And if there's hair and I get it stuck in my throat, it's, it's just a thing I have to do. No big deal. But you know what? If I could choose, sure, hairless is easy. But in 2012, the Bush was back, right? And it was a feminist statement. And if you were body positive and you were queer, then why the hell were you still shaving or waxing to appease the patriarchy? Uh, So a lot of feels there too. So yeah, for me, my relationship with pubes has been very, very complicated and full of lots of feelings of shame and being unsure and all of that negative stuff. Not to mention the pain in the ass logistics of caring for my pubes, whether I was in a shave phase, just a little trim phase or a completely let it grow phase. I was curious, you know, after all of this experience I had with my pubes, I was curious what some of your experiences were with yours. So I took to social media to hear some of your stories, your pube stories, and this is what you told me. Here's one. I prefer to shave just for the simple fact that it makes me feel cleaner. Now remember that one because it's gonna be a theme that's gonna come up quite a bit a lot later. Another, I let it run wild when I want. I take it all off when doing wax play because, well, wax play, that will pull out all your hair. Although, do you take it off by waxing? I I, I don't know. Some people could like that. I, I've never waxed, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. Another one, after two years of shaving, I let it grow back because it's too hard to keep up, but I do miss the clean lick. I'm with you. I like the clean lick. Another, I used to shave bare every week because I don't really like pubic hair getting in the way of sexy times, but now I'm too lazy and I let it grow out because shaving is a pain. However, recently I made my girlfriend shave my vulva so that I get the benefits of being bare without any of the work of shaving and her shaving becomes sexy time in itself, whether we're in the mood for service play or scary edge play or fear play. So they're they're in a, a BDSM sort of relationship. Another, currently I'm rocking a fully glorious 70s bush because I'm too fat and lazy to shave. This is a theme that shaving is a pain in the ass. Uh, it's literally a pain in the neck and the back to shave. See? If I desire to be groomed, my husband will do it for me, starting with clippers. We call it bushwhacking. I love that. I may have to start doing that because I agree it's a pain in the ass. Another one, I prefer to live in a body that has, and this this is a heavy one. I get this. I get this. I prefer to live in the body that I have as much as I can. I don't believe in trimming, waxing, or anything of the like for my body. I'll only trim when hair seems to be getting in the way, but that's like every six months. It's functional, not for appearances. I prefer hair on a body as there is a reason for it. I've spent my time wisely, and body hair is just not something I want to put time into. Of course, I've received judgment for this. I'm fat, queer, femme-presenting, and non-binary. I get judged for many of my identities, but I just say, fuck them because it's my body, and it's my choice. There are some people who appreciate and love my body here too, and those are the people I try to surround myself with. I'm going to live and act more authentically, and rejecting beauty standards is one of the ways in which I try to accomplish this. Everyone else has a right to their own body and their practices. I'm just saying for myself, it's a ridiculous waste of time, energy, and money. Oh my God, I love that whole response. Thank you, so much. Uh, Another one, I grew up thinking that a hairless pubic area was what men wanted. And if I had hair down there, I was unkempt or didn't care enough about myself. However, after a couple of experiences in my early 20s and the subsequent annoyance of growing it back, I gave up on it. Over the years, I finally let go of the idea of needing to be hairless to please a man, especially once I started to make a connection to that and many men's desire for idealization of the very young female body. There's that thing. I grew up, I got taught that. Like if a guy likes that, he's into pedophilia and his gro- that's what everybody said. Um, so they go on to say, and if anything, having a full bush makes me feel more like a woman now, more powerful. Here's a feedback from a cis male. I'm cis male trimmed heavily so she does not get mouthfuls of out of control hair when giving a blowjob. Bonus is the long gray ones don't get noticed by me, at least one short. I'm with you because I don't have any gray head hair, but I've had gray pubes for like 15 years, which I don't know how that happens. But whatever. I got one gray eyebrow too. I don't know. Uh, this one is kind of brilliant. I visit my waxer in time with my cycle. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Like I change my... Uh, my air filters, like when the rent is due, I remember. So if I start waxing, I will go with my cycle. I'm waxed everywhere from my eyebrows down. Over the years, my pubic hair has thinned on occasion. I've grown it back. I love it. I've been shamed for being hairy. I've been shamed for being smooth. So fuck it, I do what I like. As a submissive into sensory experiences, I like being smooth. That extra couple of millimeters of proximity can really be felt. I love my waxer. We have an ex- excellent rapport. She's looked after my most intimate, Intimate parts for seven years and could tell my life story. Just like the hair on my head, I see it as a way of expressing myself. And then uh, they add, oh, and I get waxed because I enjoy the sensation. The results last longer. And I think my waxer is a sadist, which appeals to me. I can get down with that because I'm anyway, um, one more that this one I was like, what blew my mind. So I've always been a fan of removing some, if not all of my pubic hair for most of my sexually mature life. I feel sexiest when I have it mostly removed with a patch or strip above the pubic bone. Sugaring is my preferred hair removal method as it's the most gentle on my skin. And I was like, sugaring like your sugar baby and your sugar daddy pays for your wax? Like, what the hell does that mean? They, they responded back, it was life-changing. My skin did not like regular wax and it would lift hard wax was a bit better, but sugaring is the most gentle ever. Like I had never heard of, I'm like, what the hell is sugaring? So I go to Google, first link I found was an article from the publication Birdie. And there's a paragraph in here that that reads, according to the Encyclopedia of Hair, a cultural history, the practice of sugaring originated in ancient times in the Middle East. It involves cooking up a sticky gel-like paste made from sugar, lemon juice and water and using it similarly to how wax is used for hair removal. Only the paste is organic, biodegradable and hypoallergenic. This sweet substance removes the hair from the root without sticking to or pulling at live skin cells so it tends to be gentler than waxing. Huh, I had no idea. By the way, I will link the full article um, that that's from in the show notes, but yeah, if I'm gonna do waxing, which I don't know if I'll ever do, I think I'm gonna look for sugaring instead of waxing and then maybe I'll get a sugar daddy to pay for it and then it will be like, is that meta? I'm sugaring to... To sh- for my sugar, I don't know. I'll figure it out, though, and it'll be cool. So reading all of your responses about your pubic hair, I found some commonalities and things that backed up some of what Lindsay found in her research, too. Many of you take a to-each-their-own approach to pubic hair removal, which is awesome, in my opinion, and we could all use living in a less judgy and less sexually shaming world. Many of you were also acutely aware of the societal messages were given, and you aim to see past them and see them for what they are, which is not necessarily truth. Many of you find it to just be a pain in the ass to remove that hair, especially those of you who are prone to razor bumps or ingrown hairs and that sort of thing. One thing I found particularly interesting is, okay, American fuckers, if you don't know this already, you are a kinky ass bunch very kinky. There's a high percentage of our audience that practices BDSM. And many of you use hair grooming and hair removal as part of your power exchange dynamic with your partners. Some do it to appease their dominant, and many dominants require their subs to do it not because they prefer hairless genitals and are making their subs comply. They're doing it because it's a symbolic gesture that shows service and devotion. And in many cases, the sadomasochistic nature of it is a perk too. So, huh, you're a bunch of kinky mofos, and I like that. I got to add one more thing. I am absolutely blown away by the responses I got to this on social media. Now, I couldn't get to the fraction of the feedback that y'all gave me. Pubic hair and our feelings about it really hit a nerve. So many of you felt that it was cathartic to talk about it. In the show notes at americansexpodcast.com, I'm gonna link to all of the social media threads and the permanent Instagram story highlight that I made of your anonymous responses. You can go back and read those. And if I continue to get a lot of anonymous private messages, I may also post them up on our American Sex Podcast subreddit too. So keep an eye on that. Huge thanks to all of you that submitted your thoughts and stories and difficulties with pubic hair. I appreciate each and every one of you and your responses. And I know those listening and reading along will too. So now that we've examined pubic hair grooming from a modern and very personal perspective, we're going to switch it over to Lindsay and her biocultural anthropologic research on pubic hair removal. She examines how it's used in some cases for sexual signaling and tells us other reasons throughout history why it was done. We also get into some specific removal techniques, and you kinky mofo American fucker sadomasochists, you pay particular attention to this, because I think you're going to get some ideas. Lindsay also gives us a peek at her current companion research on the use of intimate apparel in long-term relationships, and how that lingerie use relates to pubic hair removal and sexual satisfaction. Okay, so quickly, before we roll this guest conversation, I want to remind you of a couple things. One, if you dig American Sex Podcast, and I know you do, and you want to show us some support, please tell your friends to listen. Give us a shout out on social media, talk us up at a dinner party, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also become an American Sex Podcast member at patreon.com slash American Sex. Members get all of our episodes early, extra bonus episodes and audio and guest stories, American Sex Podcast stickers sent to you in the mail, and other random surprises sent to you in the mail too, and a lot more. And hey, by the way, my birthday is Friday. Yep, August 2nd. So consider spreading the love, your birthday present to me. Lastly, you know how social media hates everything and anything sexuality-related. People in the sexual health field are having their accounts removed and suspended left and right. The latest was the WeVibe company. They had their Instagram account taken down completely for what? Nobody is quite sure. They're like, we didn't have anything that that we complied. We don't know what the hell is going on. But there are now even some sex podcasts that are being removed from iTunes. Well, it's now Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. I'm so confused. But they're being removed for using forbidden words. And I'm doing finger quotes, if you can see me in the episode description, what those forbidden words, I mean, we're sex podcasts, we have to say like breast and you know, I don't know. But to be sure that we don't lose touch in the event of a social media crackdown, I highly encourage you to get on our mailing list. If you have your phone handy, you can pick it up and text the word MEGATRON, M-E-G-A-T-R-O-N, to the number 444 and you are in. You can also visit SunnyMegatron.com slash newsletter to sign up. Okay, are you ready? Here is our conversation, our very hairy conversation with Lindsey Craig.
2: So here on American Sex Podcast, American Fuckers, we talk about... porn stars, we talk about sex workers, we talk to academics, we talk to all sorts of people. And today we have a very special guest. Lindsay Craig is here with us. And Lindsay, you're from UNLV and you have a very interesting field of study. What is it that you are looking into right now?
0: Well what I'm looking into is female sexual signaling. And the form of signaling that I'm looking at is within intimate relationships. And that's with the use of pubic hair removal. And right now I'm looking at intimate apparel as well.
2: Interesting. Now, can you explain to our listeners what signaling means?
0: Um, so it's an act, behavior um, that you intentionally use to indicate to somebody else. Like in this case, it would be your your sexual partner that you are... Um, Well, you're indicating something you're saying something with that behavior. And in this case, it's uh, proceptivity, which is indicating to your partner that you are ready to have sex, that you are interested in having sex that in that moment.
2: So would this sort of be in the ballpark of um, when somebody is feeling that they want to have sexual attractiveness, they kind of flip their hair and, and that sort of thing? there's like nonverbal cues that they have is, are you studying that sort of thing? Or is it primarily just the physical aspect of what people are doing to their bodies?
0: Uh, That's a good question. So um, what you mentioned, you said nonverbal cues. Um, There's a really, there's a distinction between cues and signaling. So cues are unintentional um, and they're, they could be uh, biological. So like pheromones, scents and smells um, or behaviors that you don't really know that you're doing, but signaling is an intentional act.
2: Okay. So I would like to know a little bit more about you and about your study. So just tell us about yourself.
0: Well, I'm Lindsay and I'm a grad student at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, just past my second year, I'll be getting my master's degree in August um, of this year. And then I'll be continuing on for my PhD in the same area of research. And hopefully... Uh, for my PhD, I want to do some research in India. Oh wow, Ooh, wow,
1: that's very cool. Very yeah. cool. So, okay, so I was really, really, really excited to talk to you, and I know I'm, I'm totally not doing your job description. Uh, uh you know, I'm doing it a disservice, but I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna have a pubic hair anthropologist <laughs> on the show. This is amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, <laughs> and is your degree, by the way, is it is it physical or I mean, or rather cultural anthropology?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, too. Uh, It's cultural anthropology, but I actually take a biocultural perspective. So it's an evolutionary uh, plus cultural perspective. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, it's fun. So
1: so I know that in your studies, you've studied, uh, you know, pubic hair removal practices and whatnot worldwide. But where I want to start, you know, because we all relate stuff to ourselves, right? (laughs) So uh, when I think about myself and I think about my relationship with like pubic hair removal and my sexuality, I think back to when I was coming of age and I was a, you know, a college age person, a young adult, 80s and 90s. You did not shave. It was like, ew, (laughs) somebody shaves. Ew, that's like...
2: That means they're a pedophile.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of pedophilia. Why do I want to look like a 12-year-old kind of thing? And then suddenly the dawning of the internet and, you know, porn has showed us that, oh, it's, you know, everybody gets their waxes and whatnot. And now it's completely the opposite. Now in my own personal life, I'm like, well, of course I
2: shave. <laughs> although, although the bush is making a comeback. It is
1: making a comeback. But my, see, personally, I just don't like the way mine grows. If it grew better, mine would make a comeback too. It's just ugly. Mine's ugly. And it's like a comb over. It's bad. Anyway.
2: <laughs> no, so- I don't want your vagina to look like Trump. No, <laughs> no, no.
1: So when I think about just my relationship with, with, pubic hair in my own life and within the context of American society, just in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, what kinds of things have we seen changing? What kind of things have you observed? And how have those things been influenced over time by media and other outside factors?
0: There's a lot of research on pubic hair removal in the US, and it is primarily focused around pornography use and media. Um, It's hard to say, which came first the media or the increased rise in pubic hair removal personally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but we do see there's a 2010 study on uh, Playboy magazines and from 1953 to 2007, they, they showed a significant decrease in pubic hair. So, um, these women in, in, pornographic magazines or, you know, even videos, um, images, they are, there is an increase in the removal of pubic care. Um, and it's also become something that's just more, it's more, I guess, less taboo to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some evidence that it could be related to marketing. So the increased, uh, the rise in marketing for, like, diplatory creams, like, so like Nair products or like different razors, like the Venus razors. Mm. Um, and then, if you also look at anything, any lingerie ads um, or underwear ads, there's never any pubic hair on the women in the underwear.
2: Oh, You're right. You're right, I mm-hmm. never thought about that because yeah. like, you know, there should be a little peeking through the the pants.
1: And if and right. I, I and and it's like I I know how people react. If there was some peeking through, they'd be like, "Ew, I can see her pubic <laughs> hair." Which exactly, is bizarre it was to think <laughs> about like, it. It's yeah, guy,
2: it's not even a you know, not even a question. Yeah. Right.
1: So so, what are the reasons that you found that that modern you know Western society women remove their pubic hair?
0: So in all the research in the Western world. Uh, Western cultures, I mean, um, the removal of pubic hair, when, when when the researchers actually ask the women who are removing pubic hair, they say the top one is cleanliness. It just feels clean- cleaner. It doesn't, you know, they don't get um, like discharge stuck in the hair. Right. Um, and there's also, they feel sexier and more comfortable. Um, they very, very rarely say that it's because their peers wanted them to. Um, though there was one study done on teenage girls and they did relate it to their peers. Uh, their peers were removing their pubic hair. So they felt like they should as well. Ah. And I think that's a very oh, yeah, thing. Boy, did I misunderstand
2: what you just said? I thought you said that the peers were removing the individuals pubic hair, not that they were No, their own. Removing their own.
0: <laughs> I'm
1: going to have my BFF yeah. over. We're going to wax each other.
2: So, uh, so have, you, have you found any non-sexual reasons that you found uh, cuz like, you know, like when we feel when we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to look pretty, that's kind of sexually based, I would assume. Did you find any reason, you know, other than the general like it's a little bit cleaner that, you know, surprised you?
0: Uh, that surprised me. Mhm. I think the the one that surprised me the most was the Sharia law in Muslim cultures that indicates that men and women have to remove their pubic hair within 40 days of pubic hair removal. It didn't really give a reason for that.
2: And is that in the Quran?
0: It's in Sharia law.
2: It's it's in Sharia law. Okay. Yeah. So they have to remove their That's interesting. They have to remove their pubic hair. Yeah. But you couldn't find any reason as to why that is
0: not in the law itself but now and a, a paper just came out right after minded about women in oh i can't remember where they were now but they were muslim and they said again that it was the reasons for their removal was hygienic and comfort and yeah. they very rarely related it to their religious practices Interesting. Yeah. And, and I mean,
1: you know, not that I'm Muslim, but I, you know, growing up with a best friend who was Muslim, I know that was a huge, um, point is that men, when you were menstruating or anything to do with the genitals was very unclean and mm-hmm. being unclean was very bad. And you couldn't pray at that time. You know, there was a lot of, of, uh, special attention played to genital cleanliness. Yeah to the point where I was like, why? why?
0: What's the what? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So
2: what areas of the world in times did you study in the data set?
0: So this data set is, it contains over three, 300 different societies across the world, but these are all non-Western societies. So they're like horticulturalists, agriculturalists, um, some are hunter gatherers. And the, the regions that I found were very diverse. There were some in, um, in Asia in all parts of Africa even in North America and South America but the key thing about the this database is that it's ethnographies from the late 1800s to the late 1900s do you,
2: do you know why that time period
0: that's just when all of the ethnographies were being conducted so okay. In, okay in those areas um, so this database and it's the database goes back further as well but these are the the, this is the data set that I came up with. So um, it's called eHRAF. It's the Human Relations Area Files. Let me, it's a, is that something it's
2: a, we can put a link to in the show notes?
0: Yeah, um, it's an online database. It's E-H-R-A-F, World Cultures. And it's an online database. You do have to have an academic connection to get on there. But then you can type in. It's sort of like a Google for... Old ethnographies. So you type mm-hmm. in keywords or phrases. You can even search by region. Um, they even have like their own data sets that you can look at. Um, so what I did was type in pubic hair, and found everything that have said pubic hair in the ethnographies. And then I looked to see which ethnographies actually mentioned pubic hair removal. So I came up with twenty six societies that removed pubic hair. And nine societies that did not remove pubic hair. Um, And all the others that I found, I found over 70 in total. All the others were related to either artwork or mythology. So I couldn't include those in my data. Oh, interesting.
2: I'm going to ask a really basic question. What's an ethnography?
0: Uh, It's basically a write-up of a culture. When an individual in anthropology goes to another culture and they write about the, what they see in that culture, what they experience in that culture, that's an ethnography.
2: Okay. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That makes a little more sense. So
1: now, <laughs> it's interesting to me, because you study cultures all over the world, and I'm assuming there's, a you know, quite a few of these cultures that aren't influenced by media and whatnot, like we are here well, especially in the in United States. Especially in Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: No Twitter back in 1854.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so I so find it surprising <laughs> that so many actually removed pubic hair. So what right. were the reasons that these cultures found that they, you know, that was a thing that they did in their
0: society? Well, that's the main reason why I even conducted the study in the first place was because most of the literature that we have is all in western cultures and they're saying that it's related to pornography or so related to media. Um, but like you said these the 26 societies none of them had access to media or pornography. Um, so right. What are their reasons? And their primary reasons were hygienic.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, and when they were hygienic reasons, was this just pubic hair removal for people with vaginas or was it everybody in society removed their pubic hair?
0: Um, it depended on the different society. There were 22 of the societies that women removed their pubic hair. And of those 22, there were 11 where the men also removed their pubic hair. And then there were four societies that didn't indicate whether it was men or women. So I can say based on these data that it was mostly women, but that's based on these ethnographies.
1: Right. So I'm imagining you know way back in 1800 whatever they didn't go down to the local salon to get a brazilian <laughs> wax so did you find that there were <laughs> did you find that there were interesting ways or techniques or were there even rituals behind removal of pubic hair
0: oh there was so much awesome stuff i had so much fun with this my favorite part about this was that the the removal of pubic hair was done by plucking um, oh, my, oh no! we
2: like the, the BDSM, <laughs> but damn, <laughs> society. Wow. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah, they would Seriously? even. Yeah, they would use their um, their forefinger and thumb, and they would rub a fine ash into the into the pubic hair, and then use their forefinger and thumb to pluck the hair out. And the interesting thing about this is that it's really hard to do yourself. So somebody else had to do it for them. In a lot of these societies, it was um, an older woman doing it for them so like their mother or aunt
2: she was like a pube shaman
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow
1: Wow. that sounds horrible
2: and kind of hot i mean it's just a little little, but but
1: (laughs) but, okay so then i have so many questions like you know and i'm not gonna speak like i know how how waxing goes because i have never had a wax i'm terrified by the way um but we need to make that happen no, we do not. <laughs> we don't. We do. No, never necessary in this world. Apparently, any anyway. boutiques around. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, but from my understanding from waxing, in order to get a good wax, you got to let it grow out a little bit so the wax has something to adhere to. So, would that be the same? Like, would they let it grow? I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm, the, I'm actually fascinated, fascinated of by the in.
2: videos of, of men who have gone to get waxed for the very first time. <laughs> Like you know, kind of like Dr. Pimple Popper, I have the same kind of fascination oh, with yeah. watching men get like their armpits or their pubes waxed for the first time. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 actually very interesting just to watch because women take things much more in stride. They scream and yell and are much less babies than men are, which is overall.
0: Yeah. In general, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and in one of the things that I wanted to 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 ask was, are there any interesting implements that were used in the removal? So like yeah. what kind of devices were used?
0: So aside from fingers and ash. The the other devices they would use were um, tweezers that were made from clam shells, uh-huh. or even tweezers that were made from bamboo sticks.
2: That's something that th- I know what your next Christmas yeah. present's gonna be, Sonny.
0: Clam shells for my clam. Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> no, uh, and bamboo. That is really bamboo. interesting. I just I can't. How did, how did they do it with the
0: bamboo? I don't know. <laughs> I, they would have, to, they would have yeah. to get it really fine and
2: like chopstick kind of
0: thing. Or, I would imagine something like that. I didn't okay. have any images to look at. Like which I didn't would know if amazing, like if there was like but, fibrous
2: like yeah. like cuts halfway through that they stuck down and then that plucked it off. Or I don't
1: know. <laughs> well, okay, so you didn't have any images because I know your your data set goes back quite a bit, but it also goes in into the into the twentieth century. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that, okay, so are there any photos or pictures or anything that you were able to? to find in your research?
0: There were some photos of artwork that, uh, that did relate to pubic hair. Um, Mostly it was either the use of pubic hair in a form of art or even medicine um, or, or like a mask that was made to represent pubic hair. But those things I couldn't include in my data because I couldn't actually say whether or not they actually removed or did not remove pubic hair in that society based on that image. So, ah. I only used the the text.
1: Okay, well that makes sense. So wait, I'm when you said art made of cu- pubic? Is that like when people make art out of like dryer sh- lint? Is that what you meant? Like art made of pubic hair or art about pubic hair? Both. Oh oh, <laughs> I want a pubic hair drawing to put over the
0: mantle. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a conversation piece. <laughs> you can you can actually get your vagina drawn. So
2: oh, wait 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 Let, let's let's address this. <laughs> How when and where?
0: <laughs> um, I have to look through my files. I have a card somewhere. But back at my undergrad at Dixie State University, we did what, what we called the vagina projects. And, oh yeah. Um, we always had an artist there who was um, selling her work, and you could take a picture of your vagina. I, actually, it's called your vulva, but we'll say vagina. Yes. Um,
2: no, we say vulva here. Like yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, we're, we're, vulva. We're, we're unintentionally <laughs> yes. using
2: the incorrect word. We're yeah. sex educators. We know better. <laughs> 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 so, yes. So, vulva drawings.
0: Vulva. Um and, uh, and then they would draw it for you. And it's beautiful. It's really artistic. I actually, I bought one, not my own. I bought somebody else. I have somebody's vagina in my, in my house.
2: It's beautiful. So.
0: Now I want to go do that.
2: I think we need to be in touch with this artist. So if you could let us know, if you can look in your notes and find yeah. out a little yeah, bit more totally. about this. This is totally something.
1: We're talking a lot on this episode about bush tending for women and people with vulvas. But what about for those of you with a dick and balls? I can't even imagine how difficult it is to shave a sack, but I tell you, I do appreciate a smooth set of twins, and I also appreciate the effort you take to keep them that way. I really found it interesting polling our listeners about their bush grooming habits. Most of you either trim or take it all off, regardless of gender. Yep, that means that manscaping isn't just a catchy word, it's a thing, and y'all are doing it. Another good handful of you want to tend to the garden more regularly, but find it to be a royal pain in the butt. That's especially true for my fellow penis Americans, because you really have to make sure you're using the right equipment for the job. With all of that delicate equipment down there, you really are risking life and limb and testicles to make sure that we don't gack up a hairball next time we give you a blowjob. All this fascinating ball grooming research is news to me, but not to the revolutionary company Manscaped. They've got your balls on lock. Well, no, wait, not like that. But I guess speaking of, you know, those into chastity play, you really do need to keep that area smooth. We know how much it hurts to get your pubes all caught up in your cock cage. So you especially need to pay attention. Manscaped has completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Sexy lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag any nuts. And right now, because I care about you and your balls, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with code SUNNY at Manscaped.com. And wait, because I care about your balls and my nose, I don't want them to be stinky either, and that's why Manscaped... Also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Ken uses all of the Manscaped products and they smell good. Manscaped is the perfect gift for your partner. And trust me, they will thank you and so will your entire face. No more stinky, no more ball five o'clock shadow scraping off the first few layers of your skin or pubes stuck in your throat or chastity device. American fuckers, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with code SUNNY.
2: Now, I'm not totally throwing you under the bus here by doing this, but I am going to, like, I have to talk about Merkins. And I know we talked about this before (laughs) the interview, and I know that it's not your area of study. But for our fans, American fuckers, uh, if you don't know what a Merkin is, it's absolutely fascinating. It is a pubic wig. Mm -hmm. And I want to say they started using them around the
1: Victorian era. 1450s? Oh, that early. No, no, no. I think it was
2: 1450s, wasn't it? I'm not the Merkin. The oh, okay. Was,
0: you were looking at me. I was like, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm looking at her, but okay. she's a
2: microphone. I can't. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, something like that.
2: So some something around the 1450s. And primarily these were wigs that were designed for the vulva. Because uh, I don't know if they had any for people with penises. But I do know that there was primarily used for sex workers that either had pubic lice or crabs or something where they had to shave all the pubic hair off and that they wanted to look like they had hair. So they had these little pubic wigs that they would put over them. And I know that they've made a comeback recently because they come yeah. in, you know, day glow pink and, yeah, uh, uh-huh. you know, lime green and all sorts of cool colors. <laughs> and you can put it on and just like, I actually put one on my chin because like I thought it would be a good addition to the ginormous beard I already have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, along the lines, of Merkin's did you find out any other practices that were in that ballpark
0: no not in these societies nothing that would um like sort of act as pubic care.
2: did you find anything like uh dreads or any kind of hair styling of pubic hair
0: no not not specifically most of these you have to remember that the, most of these these ethnographies almost all of them were written by western white men yeah
1: ah. um, so it would be, <laughs> they always mess
0: up the research. though, I'm <laughs> telling you. Well, it would be a real, it's just you know of its time, but it would be yeah. really difficult for them to um, ask the women, you know, questions about their pubic care. And I mean, some of them did, but uh, it was mostly a, the case where women would, would just talk about it themselves.
1: Okay, um, okay.
0: But there is there is a limit to what Western white men can ask women in these cultures. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's (laughs) really
2: understandable. And like, what a fascinating uh, job you must have had looking into this with, so like, you're like a detective, you're a pubic hair detective (laughs) because like, you don't have that many pictures. You don't have that much information. There's probably not a whole lot of written stuff out there. No. Um, So how did you approach finding out the information that you needed to, to complete your study?
0: Well, I went directly to eHaraf because it is, an amazing database, and and it's often used for cross-cultural studies and um, historical cross-cultural studies. The but the problem when I when I went into this was that it's difficult to search for pubic hair, and I had to sift through every single. Um...
2: <laughs> Sorry, that whole sentence just that's yeah. hilarious. I'm imagining <laughs> you like look like, like a needle in look, a haystack. I
0: Found, a yeah. Found a hair. Found a hair. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had to read a lot of different ethnographies, and I I actually, I had to read um, one of them. I I read about a rape that occurred because of pubic hair. Um, Because in one of these societies, pubic hair, the lack of pubic hair was actually deemed promiscuous, um, and the women would be punished if they removed their pubic hair.
2: Do you you recall which society?
0: Uh, This is the Igbo. Okay,
1: okay. So, all right, it's so... Women who remove their pubic hairs were considered promiscuous, but it seems like there were still women who did it.
0: And if so, why? I don't know. It didn't say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, so <laughs> the, the data that I have is incredibly limited. And I wish that I could go back in time and ask questions myself. But unfortunately, a lot of these places are totally different now with globalization. Right. And some of them don't even exist anymore.
2: Oh, yeah, huh. I was going to say field study in something like this must be damn near impossible.
1: right? Oh, yeah. It's so difficult. what kind of, I don't know, overreaching conclusions did you come to at the end of your study or things that presented themselves that you, you didn't think you would find by the time you got to the end of
0: everything? Well, my main conclusions are that while maybe pornography use and media might have some influence on Western pubic hair removal practices. They aren't the ultimate reason for pubic hair removal. So, and when you ask individuals themselves, it's primarily hygienic. So the removal of pubic hair, we believe is mostly related to an attempt to, um, get rid of pubic lice, um, or ticks huh. and fleas, things like that, um, or bacteria. In um, a lot of these societies, um, women were concerned about mold growing on their pubes. Oh my! It, does that happen?
2: Yes. It does. Yeah. It does. Wow. Well, yeah. Come on. Like so, if you get dreads or something like that. Sometimes if you have matted hair and there's moisture added to it, and you're not, and you're in a society that doesn't have like soap and things like that. Wow. You can totally. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The
1: things I've just learned. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so has has any of this influenced you and in your personal grooming habits? Did like anything change from the time you started the project to the time that you finished it?
0: Oh, you had to ask that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't have to answer that if that's too invasive. No, that's
0: fine. I don't care. Um, I tried plucking.
2: Did you? Ouch! Oh, I
0: did. I used tweezers, not uh, not no. clamshells or oh. my
2: fingers.
0: <laughs> but um, it was incredibly painful. But uh, but it was very smooth afterwards. So. Huh.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. Because yeah, like every time that I shave, like there's, there's definitely some five o'clock shadow there.
1: <laughs> I, I can I, no, <laughs> that does <laughs> not sound pleasant. I commend you, but
2: I, no. Sonny, I have, I have something to admit to you. I've done this myself.
1: What? Excuse when, me? When I Plucking? was a
2: teenager, that's what, yes, I, <laughs> well, like I was 15 years old and I just wanted to see what if, and I plucked every single hair from everywhere. Are you with serious? With tweezers, yeah. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: How? All over your body?
2: No, 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 just the pubic area. Just the pubic hair. I'm I'm too big and hairy for all over my body.
1: And after you were (laughs) done, were you like, that was cool, or were you like, what was I thinking? Like
2: (laughs) (laughs) At that age, I don't really think about consequences. Like my my adult brain hadn't done being hatched yet, so I, I I just wanted to try what it was. And I I think I liked the pain a little bit, but I also liked the way that I felt
1: while it you were doing pleasant. it or afterwards like the no
2: no no i like the way the skin felt after
1: yeah okay it was, was really cuz like she said it
2: was very smooth it yeah. was like smooth and it's unlike anything you ever did but like it is a process cuz like mm-hmm. i went all the way up to like uh, like almost near my belly button
1: that must have taken days <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was
2: a teenager i had time and there was no internet back in 1984 <laughs> Well, thank That's god what for we the did. Internet. We didn't have the the Twitter and the, <laughs> the Snapchat. Twitter. We plucked our pubic <laughs> you, you hair and we liked it.
1: <laughs> you didn't have the Twitter. You had the tweezer. <laughs> oh my god!
0: Well, okay. do you like plucking your eyebrows? Do you pluck your eyebrows?
2: I do not. I do.
0: And do you do you? Is it painful? Do you like it? It's. I have mixed <laughs> feelings about it. It is painful.
1: However, I like the way it looks when it's done. Mm-hmm. And I also I sneeze, so <laughs> I have a a love hate relationship with sneezes. Like they're horrible, but afterwards you feel good. It's like an orgasm for your face. You're like, yes. ah, that was such <laughs> a good big sneeze. Yeah. So, and I get the biggest sneezes when I pluck my eyebrows, and they feel good. So that's yeah, did, a little I weird. I get it when I do my but,
2: nose hairs. Like that just like sets off sneezes like crazy. Yeah.
1: So I mean, I guess I can see it, but I just I can't. I I don't I don't no I can't. So all right lingerie, though, you're also studying lingerie. So yes. tell me about that.
0: So that's my current study. It's in data collection right now. And I'm looking at women's pubic hair removal practices and use of intimate apparel in their long term committed relationships. And I'm looking at their sexual activity and their sexual satisfaction as well within these relationships to see if there's any relationship or even effect between the use of intimate apparel and pubic hair removal and sex with their partner.
1: So I know this study is is currently in process, but is there anything that you found so far, maybe any hunches that you're leaning towards that you can tell us about, even though it's not completed?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I have most of the data and I looked at it um, yesterday, actually. And what I found is that the number one reasons uh, for, for these women to remove pubic hair is for hygiene. Um, that's what they say. They feel cleaner and more comfortable. And the number one reason for wearing intimate apparel is to feel sexy. So Mm. what I've concluded based on those is that it's more of a personal thing. It's not so much, um, to say, Hey, Bob, I want you to go down on me. It's more like, Hey, I feel good about myself. Now I want to have sex with you kind of thing.
2: That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I, yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. So and one of the things in my research that I found, um, just by reading a bunch of different articles and, and some books is a book called, um, what what women want or what do women want? It's really mm-hmm. great, yeah. And uh, basically says that um, what women want is to feel desired. So if you feel sexy, if you feel like um, your partner desires you, then there's more arousal.
1: Right, right. So have you found, you know, obviously in the context of women wearing these items and having these grooming practices so they feel sexier, so, you know, they can feel more desirable and, and you know, hopefully in the end culminate in great sex or what whatnot. But are there also instances that you found where let's say these people wear lingerie, but maybe it isn't for the end goal of pleasing a partner. Like maybe for giving, you know, maybe it's me and I'm wearing like a cute little bralette under my work clothes and I'm not doing it because I anticipate some sex, but I'm, I I feel good. So did that come up in your research and is it
0: common? Oh yeah. Um, A lot of these women, they're wearing intimate apparel in just their daily life. Hmm. Um, They just want to feel good about themselves. And what's most interesting to me about this signaling is that it's hidden. It's not seen by others. It's only seen by you and your intimate partners. So unless you're wearing like, you know, really low cut jeans and a really high thong, but that's different.
2: (laughs) Do you have a camera? Can you see what I'm wearing
0: right now? Shut up.
1: (laughs) You know, it's interesting because as you were talking about that, I think of a lot of people that I know, um, that are particularly in either the, the kink communities or some kind of, you know, sex positive community where their outward display of sexuality is, I don't know, a little bit different than the norm or a little bit more than the norm. And I know quite a few people who are women that wear stockings and garters underneath their outfits, and not necessarily for, you know, not like, oh, I'm going to see my partner, you know, after work, and we're gonna just they wear it daily, because it's like their little sexy
0: secret sort of thing. <laughs> Do you have did you come across quite a bit of this? Um, Not that in particular, yet. Um, I'm not so I'm not doing interviews. Right. So that's, I mean, that's really great data that I would love to look at eventually, like when I do my India research. Um, but right now I'm only looking at numbers. Okay. So, but I will be asking more intimate questions when I, when I do my PhD work. Ooh.
1: So is this research that you're currently doing? Does it include the U S is it worldwide? Like how, how far reaching is it?
0: I'm only looking at women in the U S between the ages of 25 and 45 and who are in long-term committed relationships.
1: And are you still like looking for it or you have your data
0: set already? I have most. I still need about 150 to be completely satisfied. Okay. Um, And the more the merrier. I mean, if you want to take it, I can send you the link.
2: Yeah. (laughs) In fact, if you need extra people for data sets, we're a really good contact for that because we have a lot of people interested in sex and sexuality. That right. like taking these sorts of, uh, or like like giving information on the, these yeah. kinds of data sets.
1: Now, cool. is this something that I can share with our listeners and give them a link, or is it something that you're you're more selective about?
0: Oh no, um, uh, there are a series of exclusionary questions in the beginning. So, like if a man were to try to take it, then he'd be kicked out. So um, you can give it out to anyone, and um, and they can give it a shot.
2: Uh, one, One more question. We have a lot of listeners that are trans and would a trans woman qualify for this particular study?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, that was an issue that I came across when I started this study. Um, I am only looking at heterosexual women, but I'm not distinguishing a certain sex when I'm in this, uh, in my data collection. So I do ask a question, what gender you identify with
2: So um, real at quick At
0: this point though, sorry, oh, yeah. I am only no, no, looking no, at ahead. heterosexual women. So I wanted to make that clear.
2: Wh- um, why just heterosexual women?
0: Because I'm taking this evolutionary biological perspective. Ah, so got it. yeah, um, I would love to look at more types of sexuality, but that's that's a whole other s- study.
2: Makes sense. Um, what are what are the top three things that surprised you in overall in all of the studies that you've done in relation to pubic care?
0: Um, I honestly was very surprised that hygiene was the main reason. Um,
2: what did you think it was?
0: I was of the mind that it would be related to more of a, a marketing, media, pornography type um, type of reason or even doing it for your partner or because your friends do it. And I'm not saying saying that those things don't have an an effect in some way, but when you ask the people specifically on anonymous surveys why they remove their pubic hair, it's mostly hygienic or to feel good about themselves. And I found that very surprising um, because I come from a psych background. My undergrad was in psychology and there was this general – understanding in my group of people that um, that it was sort of a feminist issue. And yeah. that's sort of the perspective that I took in the very beginning. But after doing all of my research, and looking more into it, there's so much more than just because he wants me to, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so I know, you know, you're, you're not a medical professional or anything, but these people are doing it for hygienics. Is it perceived hygienics, or is there actually some, you know, like, no, really, actually, you're going to get less infections or, or whatnot?
0: <laughs> well, there's actually evidence for both. Okay, so there's some research on the disgust reflex. And uh, men who prefer their women to have no pubic hair, they have a, a higher rate of disgust uh, reflex towards pubic hair. Hmm. So they're, they just find it disgusting, even if, even if it's like a subconscious thing. Um, so that's just something that is perceived as being disgusting. But then there's also some evidence that having pubic hair can decrease the amount of sexually transmitted infections that get in to the vagina. Okay. Um, but the removal can increase your rate of infections in other ways. So getting because, you know, there are all these cuts and scrapes, right? Um, you, you have openings now from if you're plucking the pubic hair, you're exposing the where the follicle was. So that's what
1: I've always I had always heard, like your pubic hair protects your vagina from bacteria is kind of like your eyelashes protect your eyes. So and I was like, is that a bunch of bull? or <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, it, I mean, if you think about where most of the pubic hair is. It's kind of odd to think that it would protect your vagina from a lot of different things because most of your pubic hair is on your mom's pubis, which is above where the entrance to your vagina is. Right.
1: So it's just like a little hat. (laughs)
2: So
1: decoration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pubicats.
0: And there we go. Yeah. So
1: yeah, this has been absolutely fascinating.
2: Oh, one one and, last thing. Okay. Uh, um, and I know that you were the lead on this particular study, but you also worked with Dr. Peter Gray. Is that correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about Dr. Gray and how what was his contribution to this?
0: So Dr. Gray is my advisor, my graduate advisor. Um, and his contribution was he initially came up with this idea for this study. So he wrote a book. Uh, He co-authored a book with Justin Garcia called Evolution and um, Human Sexuality. And uh, and, and in writing that, he came across pubic hair removal in adolescence. And he had the idea to do a cross-cultural study. And in my first semester at UNLV... I needed a project. I was lost. I wanted to do female sexuality, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, transitioning from psychology to anthropology. And so he's like, you know, I I have this idea. Do you think you can do anything with this? And I was like, uh, hell yeah. So <laughs> then I went on to Ehirafen and did all the I did all the data collection, all the analyses. Um, I did the write-up. He was a huge contributor in the idea for this study. And he also helped me in in editing my paper.
1: Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. So all right, wrapping this up. Um, I am going to ask you to give a piece of advice to a theoretical human. The theoretical human is, I'm going to make this a, a newly turned 18 year old because we shouldn't encourage uh, juveniles listening to our podcast, but let's say they're listening to our podcast and they have always assumed, which I've run into many teenage girls that just assume when they start growing body hair, they're like, where's my razor? I'm going to shave it all off. Cause isn't that what I'm supposed to do? I've never thought about it before. I just automatically assume assumed you shave it like you know other parts of of people's bodies that are shaved so what would you what kind of advice or insight would you give to this 18 year old that's just like well i thought that was what i was supposed to do and i never really thought about it what would you tell them about their their grooming of their pubic hair
0: the biggest thing is that it's an individual choice whether or not you groom your pubic hair it's it's up to you um And while your peers and your partner may have some influence, they can't tell you what to do about your own body hair, you know? So do the research, look at your options for pubic hair. And if you're not comfortable with having pubic hair, maybe it it smells gross to you or it doesn't feel comfortable, then, you know, do what you need to do to feel comfortable in your own body. Awesome,
1: that is great advice, and I, I second that. I back that up. You do you, however, whatever however <laughs> makes you comfortable, and don't let anybody else tell you shit. And
2: American fuckers, I just want to add in that there is, uh, and uh, it's this isn't just a dichotomy where it's either shaved or not shaved. You can do a nice trim too, if that's if yeah. that's your choice.
1: Landing strip, landing yeah. strip, yeah. or a heart. You know,
2: like the whole, you know, heart, a heart. Yeah, yeah. There's a heart. I actually <laughs> want to make a great big mustache out of mine, but I'm still like trying to figure. It out. I have a giant waxed <laughs> handlebar mustache. So,
0: I or you can shave it all off of and get a merkin. You
2: could. I, well, I already have it shaved off. Like, I'd, I'd have to actually grow it to get the... <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be
1: like, well, I'm already wearing a merkin. I'm like, "Shut me. Like, this is a new level of our
2: relationship, Could Do make Ken. ball merkins? I need a ball merkin. A ball merkin? I don't know. That would be really hard to do. Yeah, that would be hard to do. But, you know, <laughs> like baby.
0: Just a little bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. True that, that. That
1: is true. Well, thank you so
2: much, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. This, this, has is, been, uh, this has been fascinating.
1: Yeah, and I think just knowing that you're out there doing this research and that this research exists and that you exist is fascinating because I think most people never would have even thought like, oh, my God, there is a person in the world studying this. So thank
2: you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for doing that.
1: It's a that. lot of fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Alrighty, Bye-bye. Bye-bye.